Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the specialist digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Now, for long-time listeners, you will probably already know who we are. You may have even heard one of our ads on a previous episode of this podcast. But for those of you who don't, here is a short introduction. At Create Engage, we help you create an effective marketing strategy for your consultancy, a strategy that will resonate with your target clients. And then we support you by delivering the campaigns you need to turn that strategy into a reality, helping you to build your brand, raise your profile with your prospective clients, and ultimately generate return on investment from your marketing activity. Now, I could tell you about many of the great clients that we work with and the results we've delivered for them. But instead, I'm going to do something much more powerful and something that I would recommend you do for your own marketing. I'm going to let our clients do the talking for us. If you are currently thinking about marketing for your consultancy, you're going to want to listen to this. Create Engage started the process for us. They managed it end to end. They came up with some really creative ideas and we were really happy with the work that they did, which meant that we could just focus on running the business. Not only did we start conversations with clients that we hadn't spoken to before, but also there was tangible return on investment by some work that we were given. They've helped right from the initial shaping of the idea through to helping us work out what our end goal was. They've supported us with the visual identity and our positioning of the brand. We've had an immediate expansion of our network and, and have initiated a raft of new conversations with owners, CEOs in, in target client organisations and has led to us winning new projects already. One of the greatest compliments, I guess, is that one of our competitors even said that uh, they really like what we're doing with marketing. They wish they could be doing something as good. So from our perspective, we couldn't recommend Create Engage any more than this. I would certainly recommend Create Engage if you're a consulting firm. They really understand consultancies and the sort of challenges we face. And, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get much better marketing anywhere else. So I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Create Engage. They did a really good job for us. So if you're looking for an agency that can help you achieve the results that our clients just described, then head to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can find out more about how we support consulting firms like you. You can download our latest ebook and you can get in touch to talk about how we can help you take your consultancy to the next level through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of Climate Consulting. Now, before going on to tell you all about what today's episode has in store, I just wanted to highlight that this is going to be the last episode before our summer break. As regular listeners will know, every summer we take a short pause on the series while many of our listeners are away for holiday. It's a time to refresh, recharge, and it's also a time for us to get a ton of interviews in, which means we have some fantastic guests lined up for you when everyone comes back from that summer period. Everyone's ready to get back to work in September and Climb in Consulting will be there with some brilliant guests. I can't tell you who right now, but we have a ton of guests in store. I've got a whole load of interviews lined up. I'm very excited to share them with you. So what is the last episode before the summer break? Well, to celebrate the end of this season, I wanted to bring you something that's both a little different and very timely, because it is a question that I get all the time from boutique consultancies who are struggling to scale their marketing. And this episode is really relevant for you 
because it was taken from a conversation that I had with one of our clients, a firm called Penn Partnership. They are over 150 consultants big. They recently were acquired by Wavestone. And we have been on a phenomenal journey with them, helping them scale their marketing. Now, as you'll know, for most of my podcast episodes, I'm the one that's asking the questions. But this one is a little different. The leader in the PSA industry, CMAP, they host a phenomenal series of webinars where they invite the best in the business to share their insights on everything from growing your consultancy to M&A and to marketing. In this case, they were kind enough to invite myself and our client, Neil Sharp from Penn, to join them on a webinar to share the journey that Penn have been on over those four years and talk about how we have worked together to help them achieve those goals. Having started with limited brand presence and minimal content, Penn have steadily built their brand and their marketing over the last four years and now boast a sophisticated marketing function that rivals the big four. And the best part is they're doing all of this at a budget that is far below many of their boutique competitors. Now, obviously, I am very proud to say that we have been there at every step of that journey, working alongside the Penn team to help them build their marketing strategy from the ground up, and we continue to support them today. And that's why it was so good to get on this session and have this in-depth discussion with Neil and with Ben from CMAP to talk about the journey that Penn have been on and to offer practical advice on actually how you can build an effective brand and marketing strategy that will support your consultancy firm's growth or acquisition goals. We cover so much in this one. It was a Friday afternoon. I think you'll hear from the conversation. There was definitely a a relaxed vibe to the webinar. But the most important thing is there was tons of value. And Neil, in particular, shared so many great insights from the journey that Penn have been on. And I know that if you're running a boutique like Penn, you're going to get so much from what Neil shares in this one. To give you a little window into what we talk about, we cover why brand should be a significant lever in differentiating your consultancy's proposition. We talk about how you can build an effective marketing strategy that actually delivers the ROI you want without breaking the bank. We dive into how Penn have done that and the importance of empowering your team to take ownership of marketing. We also look at actually how to build the operating model something that is critical to achieving long-term success. And finally, we dive into why Penn did all of this with an outsourced marketing partner with CreateEngage, as opposed to hiring a full-scale internal team. Whether you're looking to scale your boutique, you're planning for an exit, or you simply want to ramp up your marketing, this episode is going to give you so many great insights into how to build an effective brand and marketing approach that will support your goals. So with the intro done, all that's left to say is please enjoy today's episode with Neil Sharp and Ben Edwards. Hello, everybody. Hope you can hear me loud and clear on this wonderful Friday. I can see, as ever, huge volumes of participants flooding in as I speak, which is great to see. Okay, so well, let's get started. Today, we've got a fantastic webinar, which is all around how to build an exceptional consulting brand with leading professional services agency, Create Engage, and 140 staff consulting firm, Penn Partnerships. And it promises to be, as I mentioned, an excellent end to your week. And for those who don't know me, I'm Ben Edwards, Head of Partnerships here at CMAP, and I'm going to be running today's webinar. But back to today, I'm joined by two brilliant panelists, Neil Sharp and Nick Sinnott who know consulting inside out and have got fantastic expertise across brand building, driving marketing and sales, as well as leading their firm's growth. As I said, they'll be making introductions shortly. But for now, 
I'll just give you a little bit of background why I was keen to have them on one of our webinars. So first with Neil, I'm really intrigued to see Penn's growth journey. It's, I think, fascinating for lots of our clients and the broader boutique consulting market to see how a firm has grown continuously over a number of years, working in some really exciting niches, delivering great work for some genuinely heavy hitting clients, and then ultimately being acquired by a fantastic large consultancy in Wavestone. So keen to have him bring his insights to today's session. And with Nick, he works directly with Neil because Penn are a Create Engage client. And given that's the focus of today, that's perfect to have him alongside Neil. And he also works with a number of other consultancies. So there'll no doubt be learnings and insights that have gone into the work that Create Engage did with Penn from the wider Create Engage client base too. But without further ado, I'm going to be making some introductions. As I said, two fantastic panelists. They're going to quickly give you an overview of their experience and expertise in the consulting world, what their firm does, and hopefully that will enable you to sort of see why they're here on today's session. So, Nick, over to you first, please. Sure. Thank you, Ben. Well, and thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Friday afternoon and looking forward to giving a ton of value and joining Neil in sharing the story all about Penn's brand and marketing. And Ben did ask, just because we haven't got slides, for us to give a bit of an intro and set a bit of a context around who we are. So I'm Nick Sinnott. I lead the team here at Create Engage. In terms of my background, I'm a former management consultant. I was with Baringa Partners and then out as an independent before I set up Create Engage. Other pieces to know, I also run the industry's leading podcast called Climbing Consulting. I had guests from Neil's firm, had guests from many of Ben's clients and a few of you who are on the webinar today as well. In terms of Create Engage, so we are a specialist digital marketing agency for the consulting industry. We focus on working with boutique consultancies as their outsourced marketing function, either as that entire function or as that support to their head of marketing or to a small team, because that's often the challenge that our clients face. They need all of the skills, but actually having all of that resource on demand at the times they need is just cost prohibitive. Our team are experts in marketing and specifically in marketing for consulting firms, for professional services firms. And we'll talk later about why that's really important and how that translates into what we do. And I think coupled with that, it's also really important to highlight we focus on return on investment. So I'm sure we'll get onto questions around what platform should we use? How do we track success in marketing? Ultimately, all comes back to is it delivering those results? Is it getting people to you, helping support your BD goals? And again, We'll touch on results further on, and I might pause there, actually, because I think some of those will come up in the conversation. So hopefully that gives you a bit on me, and Ben, I'll pass back to you. Perfect. Neil, over to you for your intro too, please. Lovely. Thanks, Ben. And uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for joining. Very happy to to talk about the subject, A, because it's obviously very close to my heart, but also, as Nick said, hopefully we can give a, a bit of value and, and share some, some insights and ideas for people. So yeah, I'm Neil. I am the Marketing and Propositions Director at Penn. I was one of the founding partners of the business. Just a little bit about me, very briefly. I started life in a company called Legal in General, big financial services firm a long, long time ago. And I sort of progressed through various different roles there, but I ended up in marketing and kind of did the qualifications and decided that marketing was going to be my future career vocation because I really enjoyed it. And that kind of morphed over time. And and I guess the, the sort of relevant bit of the story is the last thing that I did at Legal in General was set up their direct operation. I was on the management team of a small group that we relocated a big chunk of the business down into Cardiff. We built a contact center. And in the mid 90s, this was when pretty much I think it was only direct line really that were doing direct to consumer financial services. And so 
at that time, customer experience as a, as a profession, as a discipline certainly didn't exist. And the language is very different from how it was in those days. But I got a real bug for customer, customer experience and using technology, but also sort of using people's humanity, if you like, on the end of the phone to actually um, forge relationships with customers and, and doing that. And so I left legal in general and then went consulting on my own for 11 years, did a, a variety of different things around contact centers and gradually started calling it customer experience and propositions because that was the, as, as the language evolved. And then prior to Penn with some colleagues, I set up a business called Insight Now, which was a voice of the customer consultancy where we had our own software and we were sending surveys to customers, but also helping organizations to change as a result of the feedback that customers gave them. And then in 2013, a very good friend of mine, Richard, came to see me and said, look, we, they, they had a consultancy previously, they'd sold that and they were going to go again for a final time. And very luckily, they invited me to join the uh, the team there to to set that up. And so my role there was as a partner. Obviously, the first couple of years of a of a new business in consulting is all about getting busy. So we did a variety of different things, but quite quickly we emerged a customer experience practice, which is what I went on to lead. And then as we reshaped the business over the last couple of years, getting it ready potentially for fundraising or sale, I took the role as propositions director and so and marketing. And um, I've been looking after the marketing for about three or four years, been along the way with, with Nick pretty much uh, all the way through that. So well, Penn, we're a specialist consultancy. We do four things for our clients. We help them with customer experience management, right through from strategy to implementation, measurement, ROI, harvesting. We do change, big change projects. We, we're sort of known for helping people sort out troublesome programs or, or run big change programs, particularly in financial services and life sciences are our two key sectors. And then we we focus a lot of our work on operations and automation nowadays. There's a lot of focus on making the organization set up correctly to deliver the strategic objectives that they have. And then finally, data. A lot of our work now is all around data and, and making sure that the organization has the right data infrastructure and data governance, et cetera, in place. So all of those things, they kind of they're like four circles that uh, I'm not sure a Venn diagram can have four circles rather than three. <laughs> but anyway, you know, on my point, there's a there's a kind of a sweet spot often in the middle where a lot of our projects have an element of all of those things. And that's that's us. Yeah. Perfect. Two great intros and genuinely delighted to have you both here. The panel session today is going to be split into sort of four key areas, but the first of which is just some sort of like scene setting and a little bit of context so everybody in the audience can understand, you know, where you're at. So, Neil, to you first. What's the current situation with Penn's marketing setup and strategy? So, you know, you've reached 160 staff being acquired by Wavestone. Give people a paint a picture as to, to what you're doing and um, what you're trying to achieve on the marketing side, please. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll come on to the journey a bit later, I guess. But I guess as we are now, I sit sort of as a, I guess nowadays, more of a coordinator really and a troubleshooter and, a, and a, an ideas person. And we've got it set up in such a way that we have consultants within our teams that have additional responsibilities. And some people can choose to do marketing, thought leadership, writing. Anyone can, at any point in time, if they want to contribute something, can do so. We massively encourage that. And there are specific individuals in the firm who have got responsibility for the generation of and the coordination of marketing about their particular topic area. So you might have people in banking or you might have people within the asset management space or life sciences who sit within those teams, they coordinate with the teams and they generate content, ideas, campaigns, etc. And myself, 
and a couple of others, we, we come together on a fortnightly basis to coordinate all of that. And right at the heart of all that is Nick's organisation. So very much partners of the business, the guys at Create Engage join those meetings and are genuinely part of the team. They, they have all sorts of meetings going on, which I don't have to participate in, where they're talking to my staff on a, a one-to-one basis to talk about the generation of the content to help with the ideas about how to execute it. And then actually... My role at the end of all of that is to make sure that the amount of demand that we have somehow fits into the kind of constrained hours that we have available in the month to be able to uh, to deliver that. And I'm pleased to say, whereas when we started probably four or so years ago, we were having to kind of turn the wheel on that quite hard. Nowadays, the, the biggest problem is the arguments that take place about who's going to get what in this month because there's so much demand for things. So it's a very positive environment. So So really, I suppose it's it's generated from within the teams, the people that are closest to our clients and really understand the industry sectors. And really myself and, and Nick's team are all about the actual delivery of that rather than necessarily the content, uh, although I do a bit of content myself sometimes. So. Yeah, listen to some of those podcasts. Very good they are too. Well, and it might just be, I think, again, for our audience, just to Neil's point around sort of all of the marketing, that, that can be relative for different firms. And I know, Ben, in some of the marketing for this, we talked about, you know, rivaling the big four. And, and I think just to set the scene for, for our audience, genuinely, I think that's true in the level of content. You know, you mentioned sort of Neil's podcast, and we talked about that with some of the sort of famous names Neil's had. There's other podcasts, like his colleague Roshni with Cloudy Business. We've got, is it three? I think it's three newsletters we've got going out at the moment, Neil, in different practice areas. We, We've got campaigns that are going out to different sectors. So we'll go into all of that. But I think to give people a sense of scale, it is quite significant. Obviously, the team size is significant. But for those of you thinking about your own marketing, actually sort of benchmarking you know, what Neil is really kind of two big campaigns a quarter, plus three newsletters, plus three podcasts, plus LinkedIn content. That's kind of the level we're talking to set that scene. Great. Really good. Now you got to that point and the firm has grown as well over that period of time. That's probably not how it started, right? So can you, because there will be people on here who are uh, sort of in firms of 100, 200, 300 staff and where you are now is great, but there's also going to be some more boutique end firms listening and testing things out, trying to dabble their feet in the water. So can you give us an idea about how it started? So at the time, uh, myself and um, my other colleague, another Nick from our side, one of the other partners, was also um, looking after marketing. And in fact, I remember the day when uh, we met Nick in a tower in the city of London, which we're no longer in. But um, we really, I guess there were three things we wanted to do. So um, you're absolutely right. To start off with, it was all a bit hit and miss, if I'm honest with you. We used to do things and then we used to stop. We got busy on clients. And anyone who's watching this who is trying to do consultancy delivery will understand that it's quite hard to dedicate time to produce a quality piece of output. Although perhaps with AI nowadays, <laughs> there's, there's a, a faster process of doing that than perhaps it used to be. But anyway, it, in terms of actually doing anything of, of substance, it takes a lot of time. And, and their first objective right at those early days was consistently being out there with a message and talking to the market about things that we wanted to talk about. So one of our primary goals, and particularly when we first met Nick, was we need to be doing this on a consistent basis. And so therefore, to start off with, it wasn't like that. And gradually over time, it's kind of built up to become much more consistent. And right now, you know, as Nick said, in addition to the campaigns and things, we put out about 
six different things every fortnight through various channels, and obviously LinkedIn being one of them. So early days, it was was very much about that. And I guess the second thing really was all about brand development. Obviously, a lot of this is about brand today. We started to form some real clarity about what we wanted to stand for as an organization. And we did a lot of work internally about our purpose as well. So we spent a lot of time with our people trying to understand what is it that really makes you get up in the morning and want to do this? And, and so we we really explored that and explored it alongside a strategy that said, look, we want to be out there as a high quality brand. We felt that we were punching above our weight in terms of our sales capability because we had some fantastic people still do that that have great relationships. But we wanted to, and I, I suppose this is kind of the key of my message really, I, I decided at that point that we wanted marketing to be like an extra partner in the business, a partner that would be self-sustaining, that would be able to produce opportunities for people, but also produce business and be accountable for that as well. And so therefore, when we think about our marketing budget, we think about it almost as a partner. It's kind of like being paid as a partner to, to sort of feed the machine. And that kind of philosophy has actually served us quite well because it keeps a real... It's a terrible word it's often used nowadays, but a real agility to the process that you go through because the the clarity of the brand direction and the purpose was there. It was then about continually trying things and having this kind of growth mindset the whole time to to not be afraid to to try a whole variety of different things. And even today, you know, we, we're very happy to explore new ways of doing things to get stuff out in as broader a range of things as possible. Perfect, Neil. And Nick, what was it like from your side at the beginning? Well, I think, Neil, yeah, I do remember that tower in the city, Neil. It, it feels like a long time ago, doesn't it, that you, me and Nick met in that office. I think, you know, as, as Neil's highlighted, and Ben, to your question, because actually it applies the same for, for smaller boutiques or firms of pen size, is it's the starting point that's critical. Because, you know, I speak to quite a lot of different organizations and even bigger firms you don't want to suddenly, you know, go from zero to 100 in terms of budget, in terms of activity, because it's not sustainable. And that sustainability is key. I think what we did with Penn, and this is where we'll often start with with a new client, inverted commas, small or big, is it's about starting to get that content out. And actually, a bit like any activity, to get people into the habit. So I always remember, Neil, one of our early goals was we didn't set a limit, but we say, you know, right now we're doing a lot of external content, you know, sharing articles from the pharma industry, from the banking industry. And almost the initial goal, Ben, was, well, how do we start? So our LinkedIn is more more pen than it is FT, let's say. And I think the other piece, and this is the same across firms, is actually showing people they have the resource. Because often, it's not a lack of want to do marketing. It's a lack of avenues. You know, consultants are busy. You're on delivery. You know, you're working from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. You don't want to then have to figure out how I write a blog, get it posted, get it repurposed. So actually having that resource meant that colleagues started coming to us to Neil's point sort of the early days was more about stoking demand and now it's about managing supply and that's the same for anyone on this call if you're in a smaller boutique or a bigger one and we'll talk about actually the unique challenges to bigger ones I'm sure but starting that drumbeat you know get some LinkedIn going getting some articles going getting a newsletter going some real basics that will start to get some runs on the board and in the benefit of hindsight when you look back at those early days if you were to do it a second time around, Neil, would you do it this way? Or is there some additional learning that you could give to people about maybe some of the challenges that you overcome or some of the opportunities that you didn't expect to be such a success that, that helped propel you? I think it's it's like most things, really. I mean, I guess the key learning for me is is identifying and then giving responsibility and some freedom to people within the business that have mm. got genuine ownership of marketing. So we've gone from marketing being 
a person or you know a kind of a, a thing to it becoming just a pervasive part of how we do business. It's not a department. I mean, I'm on my own as a in a role, but I've got a whole host of people in the team that come and go and and kind of put their hands up for things because they want to get involved. And so, I think it took us a little while to get to that. And and I would I would move much more quickly to that now because I think you know the benefit of hindsight for me was when you get that clarity of and I'll press to come on to this a bit later, but in terms of the roles and responsibilities we have within Penn, I suspect in common with a number of people on the call, you know, we we have consulting and consulting delivery and developing your career in the way that you want to. But at the same time, we always encourage people to have at least one substantive area of responsibility that they have, which might be functional or it might be to do with well-being or something else within the firm that they're passionate about. And that's the key thing really is, is saying to people, put your hand up. So everyone that's involved in marketing, whether it's something they do as a one-off or you know as something that year, or the small team that are available you know on a fortnightly basis that actually drive the communication and drive the um the marketing within the teams they put their hand up for it because they want to do it they're interested in it they want to learn they're, they're passionate about getting the message out and so i think my key learning would be jumping to that a little bit quicker so that we've got that and and it's just about the learning of like anything really you know you give someone responsibility for something and a little bit of freedom to to do it in the way that perhaps they might want to and hey presto if they're a smart person they kind of do it so um a bit stupid of me not to realize that four years ago really but um hey ho you know you learn don't you <laughs> yeah, exactly so i was going to ask questions around that a little later but given we're talking about it i think it's quite pertinent to go into it now which is that lots of consultancies talk about having an embedded sales mentality throughout their business and some achieve it and others struggle with it and many others struggle with marketing. And, but it seems like you've got the right people in the firm creating content and there's probably loads of other activity behind the scenes too. So talk us through sort of like how you're actually getting individuals to do that. What's the cultural impact? And even if you can, does that go into the way that you recruit people or is that impacting how you're attracting people to become part of the team? Any and all of those things would be fascinating to hear about. Yeah, fine. Well, I'll try and answer those 15 <laughs> questions for you, Ben. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think obviously sales and marketing are both different things, but they're very much embedded together. And the business development or the, you know, the, the sort of market development mindset is something that we, we foster right from the moment somebody comes into the business. So I, I talked earlier about having additional responsibilities. Basically, within our company, our whole appraisal process and the way in which we judge people's effectiveness and judge is a bad word, but kind of like, you know, uh, people can judge themselves in terms of their progression is, are they doing a good job at delivery, right? That's that's the key thing. That's the first thing. Being a really good consultant is what we want and developing their skills and an appropriate level of specialism within that. I talked before about this additional area of responsibility. So it might be marketing. It might be something completely different. It might be that you've chosen to look after IT and some people have uh, amazingly put their hand up to do that in the past. You know, that's, that's something they want to do. The third thing, and th- these aren't in any particular order as such, but the third thing is business development. So Right from day one, even if you're somebody who's joining us as a, a graduate that's come in, we run a course three or four times a year for a group of new recruits as they come in, talking about business development. And what it's trying to do is, is taking the fear out of the sales word, the S word, You know, trying to get people to understand that the success of Penn has been built upon the personal networks of the individuals that exist within the firm. That's in common with most consulting firms, I would hazard a guess. And what we try to do is, is, is talk about purposeful networking rather than sales to start off with, you know, have a conversation with people, just talk to people about things. And, you know, 
activity breeds opportunities. You know, it's it's a quite a simple thing, and there, you know there are ratios and numbers around this stuff. But the bottom line is, you know, the more people you talk to about what we do and do it with a bit of passion because you're interested in it, you'd be surprised. Ta-da! At some point, um, you'll you'll find somebody that wants to buy something from us. And I think that's the other thing. I mean, obviously, we get involved in RFPs and pitches and that sort of stuff. But we find that with the combination of the marketing and the networking, quite often. We don't have to be salesy. We just we just kind of talk to people. They know what we're there for, and if they need us, they come and tell us. And and quite often that will be on a non-competitive basis because our specialisms kind of look after themselves. And that's where the marketing really comes in. Is if we're talking about these areas that we specialize in, giving away enough to be of value. You know, quite often when we're giving away things, then that's kind of how we do it, really. And I, and it gets drawn into the DNA of the business by. As you say, right from recruitment, right through, and we talk about that when we're talking to people coming in as well. So hopefully that answers your uh, your plethora of questions there. Well, I might. I think because yeah, Ben, I suspect you to your last question. How would we see it from the the outside? And I think you know, firstly to echo Neil's point that that enablement of the team is critical, and it's really interesting. I think something that Penn do really well, and and we see with other clients is how do you give people the tools and then celebrate the successes in your teams. And it is a cultural thing to Neil's point, you know, to your question of what would we have done differently? It'd be great to be where we are now four years ago, but but that's the, that, that is the nature of growth. And I think actually really helping colleagues celebrating those successes drives others because they see it. You know, I think Neil, I mean, his face is all over your LinkedIn, so I'm, I'm, I'm not saying secrets. You know, Srinivas, one of, I mean, he was very junior when he joined the Penn team he was sort of put forward into marketing. He's really grasped it. And I think it's a really interesting thing for everyone on this call is actually one of the big blockers is often the partners because the partners feel that they have to be the face. Now, I say that, you know, to Neil's point, day to day, he's not working with me. It's my team who are doing an excellent job, Dan and Alex. They're fantastic. They're working with Neil's team, but they're also involved in our marketing. And like Neil's doing with his team, you know, actually, you do see some of Neil's face, but I'd say, Neil, if we look across the vast majority of your marketing, it isn't partner-led. And I think that, though, is quite a step because for most consultancies, that is the partners letting go of something. But it, to Neil's point, is really key. You're showing that strength in depth, which then also frees you up. Can I just add to that as well? Sorry, there's yeah. a really good couple of points there that just sprung in my mind as well. Our recruitment profile, we, we, we recruit across the board. So we do recruit quite a lot of fairly senior people as well. And quite often it's people that have come from industry. So mm. we've got a really nice blend within our organization of people that have spent time in industry, come into consultancy quite late in some situations and have maybe not even been through a big four training. I haven't myself, you know, it's just experientially based. And so the depth of knowledge and and thought leadership that's within our people is is massive there's so much experience i mean i've never done the how many years of experience exists within the firm i would i wouldn't dare it'd be huge but you know there is a lot there and if you can harness that and get people to talk about it and i guess how do you get a people passionate about this is first of all make sure that everyone doesn't fear putting themselves out there to write things and then secondly just giving the appropriate level of support and i have to say our next team are brilliant at really helping people to kind of go, I've got this idea, but I'm not sure about it. And very gently teasing out of them the content Mm -hmm. and then working out an appropriate level of execution so that actually what is an idea turns into something very impressive and shiny and sometimes a, you know, fully 
fully multi-channel campaign with all sorts of components to it. And I think quite often people are bursting with pride, the fact that they had this idea and then bang, you know, you've got this, this big thing going out there. And mm. obviously, as we all know, with today's channels, this stuff isn't terribly expensive to execute most of the time. It's, it's there, you know, whereas... God, in my day, when I first started doing marketing in the 80s, I mean, I, you know, the amount of time and effort required to print anything, let alone, you know, do stuff. So the, the world has changed, but I don't want to sound too old, so I'll stop. Uh, you've, you've taken one of my points already, Neil. And, and to come back actually to what you were highlighting earlier, and Ben, to your point on the link between sales and marketing, because at one end, there is the partners enabling the team and celebrating that success. I think the exciting thing about marketing and what it enables as well is it actually plays to a lot of consultants' strengths, whereas sales is often a weakness. So there's quite a few consultants and you know there's nothing right or wrong about it who don't want to be partners. They don't want to sell, but they love the delivery to Neil's point. They love the expertise. And actually, that is one of the best sources of marketing for you. You know, If you've got everyone on their website says, we've got great people, well, if you truly do and they've got that expertise, give them the channel to share it, You know, shout about it. And that's where that depth comes from. And I think for anyone on this webinar, that would be one thing to take away is who are your experts and what could they share in a format like this? Because to Neil's point, the really exciting thing about where marketing is today, and particularly digital, is, is there is almost zero marginal cost. You know, the cost of today's session, I think, Ben, you said we've got something like 150 people who'd signed up. We've got, you know, quite a lot of those on today's call. The marginal cost for us is our time. Whereas to Neil's point, there was a world where you had to do billboard ads, buy TV space. You know, the cheapest you could do was an event in a hotel, and that's kind of 100 quid ahead. So I think that combination of identifying and then using those channels cost-effectively is really key. Yeah, I think the ancillary benefits that have come from the work that's being done, including sort of like the development of individuals, it sounds like you had some junior people who've been able to progress. No doubt they've built their confidence as well as their expertise and that's then enabled them to probably even deliver better quality of work as well that would be from an outsider's perspective an attractive reason to want to join a firm so no doubt you're getting another additional ancillary benefit from that as well but it couldn't have always been that way and you know was there like a penny dropping moment where all of this was impacting other areas of the business and you thought this is going to be great for the growth of our firm or has it just been a little bit more organic i think it's some and some. I think there were some some aha moments, and and I think certainly when we originally founded the firm, and as I said, you know, the, the first year or two was just about getting busy, and you know, we we weren't funded, so we had to do it all on cash flow again, like a lot of consultancies that start. And so therefore, you know, you've got to build up some coffers before you take the plunge and and hire a senior consultant on a on an eye watering salary to actually then take that risk. And and you know, it's. It's very exciting and, and slightly scary at the same time. But once we get past that stage, I think, first of all, there was a, a stage where we started sporadically sort of stop-start doing a few things and realized that you can you can kind of stimulate quite a lot of activity. And it, at the time, events were quite a big thing for us as well. You know, your webinars hadn't really matured when we first started out, but certainly getting people together to have conversations and, and that sort of stuff. But And forums are very good. There was a bit of an aha moment. When we first launched their customer experience practice in 2016, we had a sub-branded business at the time. And actually, we had to put a lot of effort into launching that and, and actually getting it out there and then starting to really address a slightly different audience and, and doing that. That was a bit of a moment where we we kind of got ourselves together and took a, a bit of a dose of our own medicine in terms of sort of thinking about that. And for the first time then, and then also when we first engaged with Nick and we were doing a bit of a brand refresh, really thinking about 
what does this brand stand for and how does that resonate with our people? That was, there, there, there was just an obsession with client and our internal perspective on our purpose. I think that was a really big moment for us because that sort of, that was about five years in where we really started to get the connection between all of those things coming together. And then we realized that rather than having a, like an internal marketing person, we, we decided to outsource because we wanted some access to a plethora of skills for the kind of same cost as a, as a person, if you like. And that's what we did. And, and so that then unleashed the sort of last phase of it, if you like, before we, um, we, we sort of, you know, developed the business and reshaped it slightly for sale. So a uh, bit of a long answer really too, but, but I think it, there were two or three things along the way and they, they tended to be around, points of focus. And I'd also say now, actually, sorry, there's a bit of an inflection point right now because what what Wavestone are brilliant at is account-based marketing. They're fantastic at aligning their account teams to be really, really focused on understanding their clients, understanding their client accounts and, you know, deepening their relationships with their clients. And, and, you know, we're learning a lot from them now about how they go about doing that. So there's a, there's even another evolution now. So I think it's very evolutionary, but in kind of like a few big jumps along the way, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Nick, did you want to add anything? Because if not, I can move on to the other topic. Yeah, well, I think just one thought from from sort of my side, and, and Neil, you can tell me if if this was kind of design or or like you say, sort of chance. I think one of the big shifts, and Neil touched on it earlier, is moving to demand-led marketing versus supply in terms of resource. So I think very often consultancies cut their marketing plan to the cloth they've got. And what I mean by that is, so we're going to do a campaign this six months and we've spoken to so-and-so who runs this practice and they've put their hand up or shouted loudest. So we're going to do that. And often consultants are busy. We're on delivery. That can be pushed and slip. And I think when we started work together, there was a little bit of, well, we want to make sure we get the best use of our support. So we're going to do that. And I think to Neil's point, there was a time when we switched to, look, we're only going to be able to run one campaign, but we're kind of going to have two or three horses in the race. And the horse that gets there first will get the campaign. And that created that both competitive nature in the team that actually forced people to do the thing and get the campaign ready, but also meant we had a constant stream of campaigns. So, you know, I think obviously without sharing the details now, I think we've had live examples in the last few weeks where there's two or three competitors. I think we've got, you know, there's now a one, two and three pecking order. But that's because we have all of those, whereas some may have actually, if we didn't do that before, some of those may have said they were going to deliver and actually not. And then we've got that gap. So I think that was a real inflection point. But yeah, I don't know if you'd agree, Neil. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's just generating that demand, really. And I, I think it it takes time to get people going. I think it's confidence. It's, it's you know, there's a lot of people who want to do stuff, but there's a surprising reticence, which... I suppose it did surprise me a little bit, and it still does sometimes. Because people don't want to, and like I understand it. You know, when you talk to people and you sort of say, well, "You know, do you not want to give that a go?" You know, just write something. And I'm not really sure. You know, and and it is confidence, and, and some people feel comfortable with that, and some people don't. So um, I think, anyway. from my perspective, looking from the outside again, there's, there's a couple of things that come into play with that. Lots of traditional hierarchy-based firms, the partners can be seen as these big important people obviously they are no, no offense to anybody who's on the call who is a big important partner but then the juniors and the midweight people don't feel like they can contribute and put themselves out there because that's really what the partners did in the traditional yeah. sense yeah. and also i think there's a level of support that you must be giving these people that maybe is underplayed and that's what's giving the confidence and ability to express themselves so i think that's as important a learning for everybody as well as the like channels and tactics and techniques that you use to market your firm. It's also about 
the leadership and the approach that you take with the people within your team. I think that's fair, Ben. I mean, I just comment on there briefly. It kind of reflects on, well, I think, the question from Alex in the chat as well, which is, you know, what, what do we do? Well, we do a variety of things. I mean, even our sort of drumbeat activity, the six things I mentioned, that will be writing an article, which will get put out on LinkedIn and maybe other channels. It might be an infographic about something. It might be a snippet of a video or a short video. We often encourage people to make audiograms or videograms now with some slides and stuff. And again, the guys are very quick at turning that around and turning it into what looks like a really slick, high-quality product, which is ever so easy to produce nowadays. And we're very fortunate now because we've been doing this for four years. We've got a fantastic portfolio of content that we can just, you know, you do a podcast or webinar. That's why you're doing it now, I guess. You know, you, you've just got this rich seam of, of information that you can take and cut and do all sorts of things with. And so our six things tend to rotate. And just to your point there, the support is just literally, give us the idea, we'll coach you. You're not giving the idea to somebody else. You're going to do it, but we'll help you and, and we'll give you the appropriate level of support. You're absolutely right, Ben. I didn't perhaps make that clear enough. It's if someone wants real loads of help copywriting or what have you, great. You know, happy to help, you know, and we'll get it into a shape. And then I think I've got it perfect. I'll give it to next team and they <laughs> rip it to shreds. And you know, it's like, well, okay. Yeah, there's nothing so, more humbling than passing some content no, to somebody who works in actual marketing, is there? You know, I did a whole <laughs> I did a whole podcast on copywriting with a an expert in the field and you know. It's such a fascinating thing because you, everyone thinks they can write stuff. But anyway, my point being is, is that in all of those areas, we can very, very quickly deploy the right level of support tailored to the individual so mm-hmm. that at the end of it, everyone comes out with the same level of quality. It's just you come in. It's a bit like a, a handicap system in golf. You know, sort of like if, if you're a 28 handicapper and you've not played this before, then you might need a lot more support. You might need two shots per hole, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's... I um, think. I think I've found a person to overtake me from hosting webinars. As I mentioned, if you've got questions, uh, we'll try and tackle them. And Elliot's come up with three absolute blinders. So I pre- <laughs> appreciate you putting those in. I have to say one of them I had got pre-planned, but let's, let's go through them because they're all relevant. What's your approach to market segmentation and how does this feed into your campaigns, your broader messaging and the account-based marketing initiative that you mentioned, Wavestone, that sort of we're educating you on? Uh, Nick can probably talk a bit about segmentation because I must admit he he reinforced a lot of the discipline on us in the early days because we were a bit kind of like, yeah, we just put some messages out and get very excited about it. But uh, first of all, we use exactly the same methodology as we do with our clients, which is we get down to not just segments, but persona development. So who is the recipient or recipients of this message that we really want to tailor this to? Once you've got that in your mind and you know if it's a COO in this sector, what are they worrying about? How are they worrying about it? How would they take this message and do something with it? So we do put quite a lot of thought into that. And again, because we've done it many, many times now, it's gone from being probably an hour kind of thinking about it in a workshop. Right now, it takes five minutes because it's kind of like, right, okay, it's one of these again. Let's do this and be Mm -hmm. clear. So the segmentation is very specific to role and it's very specific to industry. I think that's the sort of first point. For ABM, it's even more targeted. You know, ABM, sometimes our ABM stuff might be half a dozen individuals within a firm, and then they will get an individual email or a follow-up call. And, And again, the ABM stuff has to be completely embedded in the account management and the sales follow-up that goes with it. But so... ABM is almost a one-to-one type thing. I mean, it's not quite like that all of the time, but sometimes that's how tailored you have to be because somebody in firm A that you know has got this position will have a very different set of worries and concerns to you know somebody else in the same firm. So it is highly tailored, I think. Cool. Another question, which actually was one that we were preparing for anyway, which is around <laughs> how have you differentiated your brand from other consultancies in what can be quite an overcrowded market? <laughs> 
To echo Ben Elliot, thank you for your questions. And, and I think they kind of all tie in nicely together. I think Neil's covered that segmentation piece. And, and it's worth saying again for anyone on this webinar, I mean, step one is just cleanse your data, you know, before we even segment. And particularly if you've got a firm that's been going for a number of years, is your data up to date? Are they in their current roles? Have you got their correct details? And, and as a side note, that can be a brilliant BD exercise. You know, if, if Joe has moved somewhere, James moved somewhere else, have you re-engaged them from 10 years ago? You know, reconnecting with contacts is actually as powerful as sort of mining new contacts, and it's often much forgotten. I think Neil talked a lot about the propositions and honing those. And then I think a really big part, and we've talked about the team, is consulting is an, it's a people-led business. So how do you stand out in a crowded market? To your point, Elliot, all markets are crowded. You know, the, the spaces Neil and Penn work in are crowded. It's about showcasing the team and their expertise in their areas. And I think the thing that Neil, has, and Neil, I think you've really embedded with your team is we stick to what we know and we talk about it a lot and we talk about it well. I think too often I speak to consultancies where they're trying to jump on the next big thing. You know, they, they see that the way out of, you know, let's say you're a, a project management consultancy, that in and of itself is not particularly unique. Obviously, the way you do it is. But too often, people look for a golden bullet, be it a topic or be it a channel. The amount of times I get asked, what's the next new big thing? It's not to go and start a TikTok. It's to talk really passionately about what you do and actually not get paralyzed. You know, the, I don't know what anyone else was like at school, but I was always the one on the wall and you never get the date standing on the wall. But I fixed that, thankfully. Now my wife chose to marry me. But actually... You know, getting out there, to Neil's point, you know, we've got colleagues who are just giving their perspective. I come back to Srinivas. He's sharing the perspectives of others in pharma. He's sharing his perspective. That's what makes it different. If I'm looking for a pharma consultancy, I find people talking about it with Penn. Or if I'm looking for customer experience, I find Neil and his colleagues with their insights. And actually, because it is hopefully synthesizing that, the way to stand out is to give away value. It's to give away IP. I always say to clients, if you're not uncomfortable about the IP you're giving away, you're not giving away enough. And Neil, I mean, I think back and it's still on your website, that CX framework. I mean, if someone wants it, there's what, 5,000 words on how to deliver CX measurement and improvement and a whole free, you know, workbook of templates that goes with it. You know, that's, that's work that people will pay hundreds of thousands of pounds for, Penna giving away free. And the obvious reason is because it shows the depth of insight that draws customers to them. So I think to your point, Elliot, that, that's the way to differentiate. And then in terms of that uplift of leads, I think you asked about as well. I mean, we can come on to that. But, you know, Neil, I know monitoring that with you and your team, like we can see how every campaign has, like, has improved, actually how those leads are improving sort of month on month, year on year, and both across campaign-driven inbound lead downloads, but also across that networking, say regular readerships on emails. So big thing to track there, because to your point, Elliot, you know, likes don't pay the bills. It's actually those conversations that come off the back of those inbound leads. So I've tried to do three and one there, Ben, and I'll, I'll pause now. Smashed it. Well done, Nick. I had a follow-up question thinking about the brand side, Neil, and it relates to the acquisition by Wavestone. Really intrigued as to how much you can share about that part of your journey and how much importance was made on the brand and the marketing and the space that you occupied, the quality of your people, all of which is intertwined. But I know the audience would be really keen to hear that because lots of people on this call are looking at that at some point in their journey. Sure. It's probably a webinar on its own right, if I'm honest. It is. There's, it there's is, quite but, a lot. So let, let me try yeah. and summarize the points that are relevant to this. So the rationale, the reason um, was off the back of a strategic review where, and it was post-COVID, where I think there were a few people 
including myself, felt a little bit personally burnt just by the experience of, we all feel the same way, right? It was, it was a tough time. And, and if you're in business, unless you're in certain sectors, it was, it was pretty tough. And we, we had a, quite a substantial dip in business for a period at which we then managed to recover and, and go on and grow. And so the growth trajectory got to a point where I mentioned before it wasn't funded. And therefore, the only way forward was to get some external funds because we just couldn't grow at the rate, carry on sustaining it because it was getting bigger and bigger at that point. And so we had some choices to make and we looked at a lot of different avenues of that, including borrowing some money, maybe going with private equity or something else. And we chose a trade sale, but only if we could find a partner that shared the cultural values that we have within the firm. And I know everyone says that and you think, oh yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah. I can't begin to tell you. I could I could spend an hour about how we went about doing that because we we went through a very good advisor who I think started with 90 firms, got down to 15 that we spoke to, uh, which then went to three, which then went to one. And the, and the conversations were driven 90% by the people, the culture and the, the aims and everything else. And then kind of gradually it became apparent that there was a good fit from a, a synergies perspective as well. So within that, I think, and it kind of, my answer would be very similar to Nick's and it's kind of relevant to this question as well, which is specialization is key in terms of differentiation. You can be all things to all people if you're KPMG. Obviously you can because you're big enough, but we're not. And so we have to be only good at certain things and we hire people for that reason. And therefore we've only got those people that we can sell. We can't sell people that do something fundamentally different to our core. And so our specialization was baked into our brand. And that was part of the distinctiveness because that's what we talk about. That's what we go out there and say. And even down to, I must say as well, you know, we do turn things down when we don't think we do them very well. Now we've got a much bigger parent now that's got a lot more capability than we had, albeit is quite specialized as well. So there's a lot more we can potentially help people with. But generally speaking, and you know, the first time I did it was a, a really interesting moment where you turn business down. You say to somebody, even in quite an early stage of the business, you know, this is a half million pound project that would make quite a big difference to us in their growth. But we just don't think we would do it very well for the following reasons. And it's not something we want to do. Not in an arrogant way, but, and here's the people we would line up to go and do it for you. We'll introduce them, if you like, which would be a competitor. And, and clients really like that because it's kind of like honest and, and it, it's not it's not a bullshit sort of statement, sorry for the language, but it, it's kind of, it's what it is. And, and so doing all of that and living true to that, I think is what's led to where we are now, if I'm honest with you. And I, I believe that our fit within the business and what will emerge as Wavestone UK with the two other organizations that make it up, Wavestone UK existing, and also a company called Coyus that's also come into the mix. I think we've got a really interesting offer for people that is based on what we do at the moment, plus what they do. And, it, and, and it's very specialized. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Great. The other area, because we're running tight on time, but I want to make sure there's an opportunity for people to ask other questions and, uh, and, and provide answers to those. But the one area that we haven't touched on is a sort of like the operating model, the cadence, the utilization of an agency rather than employing people yourselves keen to get your thoughts on that neil and whether that partner concept that you talked about earlier has really brought it to life and whether you'd recommend that what are some of the challenges or opportunities that have have gone with working with an external agency rather than hiring internally yeah sure i mean okay i think we touched on this i mean the op model is very simple we don't have a marketing team we've got me doing the coordination and we've got our in embedded coordinators within the teams who kind of coordinate within their bits and then it all comes together and we we kind of fight over who puts out what when 
I guess Nick's team, the number one role they play is the arbiters within that to kind of say, well, why don't you do this first and then that? And then we can sort of fight. And then they find ways of of helping us to um, to put a, a pint into a half pint glass half the time. And, and that's um, uh, quite a skill, I think. You know, the cadence thing, it, it's very, very dynamic. Every, every two weeks, we're forming a new plan. And that sounds ridiculous, but that's kind of how it is. We've got a monthly plan for the hours that we utilize. We, we're on a retainer. That's my job to make sure that that's, that's married up correctly. Uh, but every two weeks, we're dynamically changing stuff and, and people are coming up with ideas all the time. People do sometimes get completely sidetracked by a project because they just have to. And we obviously accept that. You know, the client comes first. And so sometimes we have to change the running order quite substantially, quite quickly. And so I think operating model-wise, it's very, very lean and very dynamic, which I, I find terribly exciting. And, and that's what makes it a fun job for me. And reactive to the market as well, because we want to be, you know, not faddy, but talking about stuff that's relevant. And then in terms of working with an external, I, I think I've said it already. I, we just, for what we pay Nick's crew, I could probably hire a couple of, you know, good middle ranking people, but they'll be specialists in certain areas. And we would have probably gaps in 60, 70% of the areas that we need to use. So we'd need to go and acquire that from somewhere else or probably do it badly. And, and so for me, uh, without wishing to sound like an advert, you know, w- working with somebody like Create Engage is very easy for me because basically they're part of the team and they have a breadth of expertise that we wouldn't be able to get if we, unless we hired a team of about half a dozen people. And, and we don't do that and it would be too expensive. So, yeah. And there'll probably be things that you can't cover in the remaining two minutes that include, <laughs> no doubt, the quality of conversation that you have. There's, there's probably a regular cadence of catch ups that you have and reviews. Yeah. And the communication sounds like it's pretty seamless that you can't really put a price on. You've just got to work at that, right? So, yeah. I, what I will do now, though, because although we had some great questions in, we've got seven minutes remaining. So it's a great opportunity. If you've got further questions for Neil or Nick, please start asking those now. And just while we wait for those, I'm conscious we've got a mix of people from both marketing and sort of consulting side on the call. And I think to Neil's point, you know, that, that model works both where you know you need someone who is that kind of key senior person in Neil's case it's a you know Neil is a consulting partner let's say we have clients where that works just as well for a head of marketing you know to Neil's point you have that strategic person that senior board level person but actually they value the same things as Neil and his team it's that breadth of skills that flexibility as opposed to hiring one two in some cases three heads that works just as well. So for anyone on the call who thinks, oh, this only works if you have no marketing. In, in Neil's case, that is the structure we have. But we have many other clients where it's successful, where they have a very lean marketing team and there is a head in the marketing seat who then has a team underneath them because being a marketing team of one is one of the hardest jobs in the world, in the consulting world, because you don't have those skills. And so that's where having someone like us underneath gives those skills quite often that is critical to actually delivering a marketing result as well. Just Thought I'd give you a couple of moments while questions came in and, and happy to take more on that if if they come up. Question, what percentage of time do you recommend people spend on either business development activity or utilizing some of the content that's being created? And if you if you want to split that down by role, that would also be insightful. Yeah, hard one. So I think I'd say half a day a week, day a week. You know, that I I, I think um most of our 
partners and associate partners, the senior people in, in the business who generate the vast majority of our revenue, would probably, if you added up a week, it's probably that kind of level of, of activity. Some of that would be their own networking. In terms of content generation, it really does fluctuate. So if somebody has put their hand up and said, with a, with a group of two or three, which is what happens is little groups form. And they say, right, we're going to run a campaign on this particular thing in this industry sector. We just did one on consumer duty, for example, where we produced a book. Sorry, consumer duty for those not in financial services is a big regulatory change, but it's got uh, huge ramifications for the culture of a firm and how they look at customers. So placed to our sweet spot, they produced a really nice giveaway. They thought about the, the marketing of that. They thought about the mailing out of it. And in those periods, it may well be that those, those teams are called upon to put in many hours during two or three weeks to try and get that over the line. And then it goes out and then there might be some follow-up activity that then gets spread more broadly within the firm. So it, there's, not a, there's not a straight answer to that. But I think, you know, it, I would just say just my own experience, you know, BizDev is the lifeblood of a consulting firm and, and your marketing and sales activities have got to be at least 20% of your time, I would say. Quite a lot of our clients are heavily reliant on either referrals or repeat business. Have you found that the percentage of new new, as I would call it, coming in has increased as you've sort of like banged the marketing drum or has it just amplified the relationships that you've already gotten? And ha- yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And again, it changes over time. I mean, we have about 75, 70, 75% repeat business. When I say repeat business, it's business from companies that we've done business with previously. And it might not mm. be that they're there and then. A lot of consulting work is extension where you've done something and they like what you do and therefore, you know, you're helping and, and it's adding value. So they want you to stay and they get you to do other stuff. So there's that. I think we've had a number of real bluebird opportunities that have come off the back of their marketing, particularly some of their more effective webinars and podcast stuff that we've done where you get a real kind of in-depth conversation going and everything else and people will, you know, where you've promoted it in the right way, you know, you will end up with a a flow of leads that you can then um, get into. In those situations, we've had definitely had new stuff. We don't use advertising or anything like that. We really don't. We've done a little bit of PR, but so generally speaking, I would say that the, the marketing has helped to sustain the flow of new, new in addition to the efforts. But I think the amplification piece is a very important one. And as we move into our new world with Wavestone, the amplification through Mm. the account-based marketing where you really extend out into other parts of the business is critical. And and when you see how those guys do their strategic account management, it's it's a real learning thing for us. You know, it's it's fantastic to be able to to get involved in that and take our account-based marketing to the next level as well. So a bit of a woolly answer, I guess, but some... No, brilliant. No, the whole of the last hour for me has just been phenomenally insightful. I can tell from the questions that we've had, from the participation levels that other people have appreciated it as well. Really, really good. So we've got a couple of minutes left. So I, I did want to say thank you to you both. I think like the level of insight and transparency you provided, second to none. The journey that Penn's been on is fascinating for lots of our clients and potential clients who are on the call. And the services and complimentary sort of like... Solutions that you've offered, Nick, really good as well. So what I'm going to do, I'm posting in the chat now. So everyone, if anybody wants to connect with Nick and with Neil, there's a, a, a number of ways that you can do that. Uh, Nick's got his email, his website, and a, a blog post in there. And Neil's got his LinkedIn. They both said very kindly that anybody can can, can do that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So any final thoughts from you guys? If not, I'll probably sign off and... Um, let everybody enjoy the rest of their Friday. 
thank you for having us, Ben. It's been great to chat about. Yeah, it's been a good journey with Penn so far. It's gone very quickly and it's great to be able to share it. What's not to like about talking about yourself for an hour on a Friday afternoon? So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's really, really good stuff, guys. As I say, genuinely appreciate the insights. So for now, thank you and goodbye. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Thanks Neil. Thanks, Nick. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.